Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu, wind 060 at 5. Seriously, it's Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Azure's weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport. Our checklist is complete, and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Hello, everyone. Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we'll have a roundtable discussion with some talented women aviators. We'll talk about their journey into aviation, female-focused aviation groups, and their take on encouraging the future generation of female aviators. And as always, news, information, and events from around the region with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in and let's take off into this episode of the Fly Midwest Podcast. So what's been going on since the last time we recorded? Everybody's got COVID. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Stay away except, from me. Except me. That's good. Why are we whispering? Whisper. I have to whisper to make sure that the virus does not find me. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do some witty banter to start, and Trevor just started whispering. <laughs> Made me very uneasy. <laughs> Here's a fun story. I'm in my basement, and I hear an aircraft outside, and I immediately recognize there's a C-130 flying over my house. Yep, those are nightlines. It's just such a distinctive sound. <clears throat> mm-hmm. When uh, I work at these buildings in the city, I, I know immediately when one's flying over because I'm right under the flight line, like a mile out. So they're really low. They're awesome. They're so cool. You're a little biased because you're going to be flying in them a little bit. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they have a lot of different nicknames. Four Fans to Freedom. Oh, Four Fans to Freedom. I do like that one. Four fan trash can. <laughs> I like that one. I don't like that one as much. Oh, no, that one's Herc. Herky bird? Herky bird. Squawk, squawk. There's another one. Um, I can't seem to remember what it is. Probably not PG, so. <laughs> oh, but not knowing the military. So we got a lot of ground to cover, so let's dive right into it. What do we got coming up, Maddie? All right. This episode, man, am I excited for it. A little bit later, we're going to have our... Ladies in Aviation Roundtable Discussion. So we have a few ladies that we got to come on the podcast from all around the Midwest, and I got to interview them, talk a little bit about their journeys in aviation and a little bit about the future and how we can help future female aviators get into the industry. Well, and just even listening to that, like listening to that conversation, uh, there's so much experience on that roundtable. Yeah, absolutely. It was just really cool to hear everyone's stories and their viewpoints on not just aviation in general, but how to invest in the future of females in aviation, since there is such a low percentage of licensed practicing pilots that are female. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be a tough one. 
especially because the numbers are surprisingly dwindling, but we're, we're going to come back. It'll be good. So yeah, stay tuned for that. It was a really awesome discussion. And I think you'll all love to hear from some very experienced lady aviators. So Trevor, you want to kick us off with some news? Sure. And uh, so we're going to go to our neighbor over there in Wisconsin, where a small plane had uh, had ended up crashing shortly after takeoff after a, uh, after a significant crosswind basically flipped the plane over and it ended up going into a fuel truck. Now the, uh, the pilot, a 79 year old pilot was airlifted after the crash. It was a uh, single engine Cessna. So it looked like a 140 or I think it's a 120. And the man was from Waterford. He was breathing unconscious. So that's really good stuff, but it was just, it's just amazing looking at the photographs of, you know, the plane flying into the fuel truck. You know, you look, you think of, for me, you think of Hollywood and big booms and explosions that did not happen. So I'm glad that this guy's safe and sound and getting medical attention. The FAA has announced an award of $10 million towards development of the next generation of professionals in aviation industries. The FAA recently awarded $10 million to various schools um, under two separate grants, one being an aircraft pilot aviation workforce development grant, and the other is an aviation maintenance technical workers workforce grant. FAA Administrator Steve Dickinson in the statement said, our investment in aviation workforce of the future must begin today. These grants help nurture interest in aviation at an early age to build a career during one of the most dynamic times in aviation history. Um, A number of schools within the Midwest are included in recipients of that grant. Seven schools in the Midwest were recipients of the grant, four being for development of pilots, and three of the schools being for development of aviation maintenance technicians. In all, $5 million will be awarded towards aviation maintenance and $5 million towards aircraft pilot workforce development. And as many of you have heard, Brigadier General uh, Charles McGee, one of the original Tuskegee Airmen, who's uh, who's based out of Kansas City's airport, fortunately died at uh, at 102. Now, Brigadier General McGee uh, was one of the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen who flew 409 missions, and he also maintained uh, Kansas City's downtown airport. You know, interestingly enough, General McGee had 30 years of uh, active duty experience, retiring from the Air Force in 1973. He flew more combat missions in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam than any other Air Force pilot. And that's that's from the National World War II Museum. Uh, General McGee died in his sleep, according to Reuters. He had his right hand over his heart and was smiling serenely. Wow. If that doesn't make you bleed red, white, and blue, I don't know what will. Quite the prestigious career he had. Yeah, it's a big loss. A couple of weeks ago, the state of Michigan and Ontario, Canada have announced that they are actually working together to establish a drone route for deliveries. Basically, what they're trying to do is seeing if they can get an international trade route using drones um, without line of sight to try to deliver things like medical supplies uh, and also do uh, local home delivery. Uh, they're trying out these different things and they're working with both the FAA and Transport Canada. Basically, they're just exploring what kind of infrastructure that they'll need to build in order to have drones, which are commonly line of sight operations, in deliveries. So because Canada and the U.S. have a good trading partnership, Ontario and Michigan, seeing as they are very close together, have decided that they'll take the initiative in trying to establish this international trade route. I guess I can say that I'm not an overwhelmingly huge fan of no line of sight drone operations. But I think that we'd be foolish to think this isn't part of the wave of the future with 
unmanned aerial systems. But it sounds like from this article that they're trying to establish a particular route. So like a sort of like a Victor Airway almost. Oh, sure. That'll go from Windsor, Windsor, Ontario to Detroit, Michigan. So it sounds like they're trying to just establish this one route, how that'll take place, what kind of infrastructure they're going to establish has yet to be seen. Uh, I think it's in its very early stages of development. So um, I think a lot of studies are are being done right now to see the viability of something like that right now. But it's kind of cool having Amazon delivered directly to your home front door with a drone would be interesting to say, say the least. Speaking of Amazon, our next story is actually about Amazon Air. Wichita, Kansas will be home to a first regional gateway for Amazon Air. They'll be launching a daily cargo service out of Wichita's Eisenhower National Airport. The flights will be operated by Silver Airways between Wichita, Kansas and Fort Worth Alliance Airport. Speaking of Amazon, an announcement out of Wichita, Kansas, Amazon Air will be launching daily cargo service from Wichita's Eisenhower National Airport. The flights will be operated by Silver Airways between Wichita and Fort Worth Alliance Airport. And it's said that the Wichita Airport Authority has leased over 10,000 square feet in the air cargo terminal to sort and load Amazon packages bound for their next destination. All in all, the city has said that Amazon has created more than 8,000 jobs and invested more than $4 billion in Kansas over the past decade. This story brought to us by KAKE News in Kansas. All right. In international news, Zara Rutherford, who is 19 and is a dual citizen of both Belgium and Great Britain, has become the youngest woman to fly solo around the world. She started and closed her loop in Belgium, and she landed last Thursday. She flew um, VFR the entire way in her shark ultralight plane, and it took 155 days. In total, the three month trip ended up being five because of encounters with bad weather and visa holdups. But all in all, she said that it was a very rewarding journey and she saw a lot of cool things along the way. She even had to make a couple weeks stop in a remote Siberian village because of weather. Uh, Last year, uh, Travis Ludlow of the United Kingdom set the overall record for the youngest aviator to solo around the world at age 18. So although she didn't beat that, she did become the youngest female aviator to do so. We still have more news. All right, so we've got a couple of events to talk to you about. Trevor, take it away. So in Minnesota, while it is really cold right now at at negative 15 to negative 20 Fahrenheit, it's hard to think about uh, warming up. So let's just uh, look at our crystal balls and uh, think that uh, May 7th, Saturday, May 7th, from uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is going to be a fabulous day in Breezy Point, Breezy Point, Minnesota. Now, this is going to be a static display, um, no air shows, no aerobatics, but they will have uh, some military aircraft flyovers. There'll be some static uh, EMS vehicles, medevacs, helicopters, things like that. Lunch and drinks will be served. Pilots and friends, you know, they're they're encouraged to come together and and uh, join in the social. For those of you that are uh, that are motorheads too, classic car shows, classic cars are invited. The CTAP is 122.9, and you can get more information at breezypointairport.com. Coming up Saturday, February 12th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., EAA's Aviation Museum hosts EAA Winter Flight Fest. They'll have a number of events and activities in the museum, as well as a ski plane fly-in. All the events and activities inside the EAA Aviation Museum will require admission. Adults are 12.50, seniors ages 62 and over are 10.50, children 6 to 18 at 9.50, and children under 5 are free. 
Those of you having an EAA membership already, your admission is free. We'll post a link in the show notes for you to check out EAA's Winter Flight Fest. Coming up on March 7th through the 13th of this year, we have Women of Aviation Week, which is an international event to, quote, remember the past, celebrate the present, and shape the future. So what is it? It is a Global Aviation Awareness Week. It's for girls of all ages, and it's observed to mark the anniversary of the world's first female pilot's license. It was earned in Mar- on March 8th, 1910. So this week serves as a call to address gender imbalance in the air and space industry. It's not country or group specific, so wherever you are in the world, you absolutely can participate. Events during this week will be held by individuals and or uh, organizations that will band together and do local activities. This can span uh, museum special programs and community events, all things to remember the industry's female pioneers and to celebrate today's women of aviation. This is also to include uh, and introduce girls of all ages to the multiple facets of the industry. Also, the Institute for Women of Aviation Worldwide is going to be running several challenges during this week, and the participants will be rewarded with different awards, prizes, and even scholarships. Women and girls of any age can participate in this week's activities, and wherever you are on the globe, you can connect with locally or even online with the week's challenges. You can find all this information on the Women of Aviation Week website. It is womenofaviationweek.iwoaw.org. We're really excited to have a group of experienced female aviators who are going to talk to us about their experiences in aviation, their upbringing through it, any challenges they may have faced, and talk a little bit about what the future of females in aviation looks like. So to introduce our panel, I'll give a brief biography of each of them. Cheryl Dammel joins us from Minnesota. Cheryl is a retired first grade school teacher. Cheryl got her private pilot's license in 1993 and has been flight instructing since 2000. She mainly works out of the Anoka County Blaine Airport and trains in private instrument, commercial, and flight instructor ratings. Uh, She's been a member of the 99s Women Group since 2013 and a chapter chair in Minnesota for about the last five years. Pam Tobin joins us from Michigan. Pam has experience as a flight instructor and a charter pilot, as well as corporate pilot, uh, flying a wide variety of aircraft, including the DC-3s, a large variety of Cessnas, Citation 500s and 550s throughout the United States, Mexico, Canada, and several other countries around the world. Pam was the chief flight instructor and director of Baker College of Aviation, as well as interim director of Lansing Community College's aviation program until that program was later terminated. She recently retired from Lansing Community College and has went on to work with uh, youth program instruction, teaching students about airplanes, rocketry, and drones. And finally, Ellen Quist, also joining us from Minnesota. Ellen grew up with a fascination with airplanes and airports and got her first real taste of aviation when she joined the local Civil Air Patrol squadron at age 15. After attending college out of state, she came home and got a job at her home airport working in the FBO. She worked full-time for almost four years, putting herself through her flight training. She started working on her private pilot certificate in 2018 under the tutelage of Cheryl Dammel and has since attained her instrument rating, commercial certificate with airplane single engine land and sea, and her multi-engine rating, as well as both CFI and CFII. She currently works as an independent flight instructor and contract pilot. So with the introductions out of the way, let's get started. So after hearing those bios, we have a bunch of lovely ladies here that are really experienced in the realm of aviation, all in different ways. And I would love to hear more about how each of you ladies got into aviation. What were the steps that led you to I was a different generation a than uh, most of you. When I was 18, I wanted to learn to fly. I actually, I was thinking about going into the Air Force. 
And, uh, but my dad talked me out of it because of Vietnam. And he suggested that I go to college and get a degree because he said in the military, you were not going to be allowed to fly anyways as a woman and certainly not into combat. And so I went to college, but then college brought marriage and a child and then divorce and all the fun stuff. And I decided I'd better go to get a real degree. And so I went to Michigan State, got my degree in journalism. It wasn't until I was 37 that I really decided to go after the dream. I always wanted to, but I never really thought it was possible. I, I thought only men and gods flew, um, not women. So I didn't know of any other women who flew. So once I started, I even talked to my son and he said, he was uh, 14 at the time. And he said, well, mom, he said, I talked with my dad about it. And we both decided you're not going to go very far because you're going to quit. I've never quit anything in my life, but he didn't know that. <laughs> and he just gave me that extra incentive. Within six months, I had my private pilot and uh, everything went really fast after that. My instrument and commercial. And by two years, I had my CFI. In Michigan, we've been putting on, there's three of us that have been putting on a, a women's aviation career symposium. This is our, this would have been our fifth year if it hadn't been for COVID last year. We didn't do it. We didn't hold it. But the whole goal was to introduce women, young women, older women, women in general to aviation. And um, because we were finding, I've flown with so many corporates. And one of the things corporates were complaining about is they couldn't find pilots. And we had a meeting with a, a few of these folks. And I said, well, have you thought about women? And a lot of them had not. And thanks to, um, I, I, I don't want to really mention who they were just because there's kind of some sensitivity to this, but um, they agreed to hold a symposium for women, for young women, et cetera, to come and talk about and to learn about aviation. And so the three of us corporate pilots got together and we are putting on this um, fantastic symposium. And it's, uh, this one is going to be February 19th. And we are, it's a, it's a Saturday. It's all dedicated towards young women in all aspects of aviation, not just flying, but all aspects to get young women to start thinking and older women um, to think about careers. So corporates were kind of the impetus to get this going because there is, they are desperate for pilots right now. And they had not thought about um, women as a possibility. So um, we've, with our four years, we're giving scholarships. So a lot of our um, candidates, a lot of our uh, young women who have gone into this have gotten um, a thousand dollar scholarship. This year, we're hoping to maybe double that, could be 1,500 to $2,000. So anyways, we are hoping to, um, we've got some wonderful speakers. We've got all kinds of, um, all kinds of people get it, getting together to discuss topics like uh, aerospace engineering, airport operations, ATC and careers and all these, um, airline and corporate and general aviation possibilities um, for flight and maintenance and military. That's incredible. All, all these sort of things to encourage young women to start thinking about careers in aviation because they're still not. This will be held in, um, in Battle Creek. So Battle Creek, Michigan, and uh, at NMU's um, College of Aviation. Now, here's the, here's the rub. With COVID out there, we're still not 100% sure 
about um, how this is going to be, you know, if there's bad weather, then we've got an alternative February 26th. If COVID happens, then we might have to go online. We're not sure. I mean, if, if okay. things get worse again, but okay. basically it's waxmichigan at gmail.com, but I've also got some others that I can, I can put there. That's fantastic. Cheryl, how about you? Well, my family was always into the space program. And so growing up, um, you know, the moonshot and all of that. And so it was kind of aviation, but not really. And I didn't really know anything about aviation, although I had a couple uncles who flew, but that was really never shared with me. I went to college, got my teaching degree and uh, shared my love of aviation and space with my kids. And one of my colleagues um, suggested a class at um, St. Cloud University called Aerospace Activities for Elementary Teachers. And we made model rockets and hot air balloons out of tissue paper. And we got to fly a demo flight in a Cessna 152. And it was then that I realized that people do this for fun. So I came home that night, looked up flight schools and talked to the person who would eventually be my flight instructor. And then that was in the summer and the following spring, I started flying and got my license then in uh, January of 1993. From there, I worked at a flight school to pay for my flying on a teacher's salary. It wasn't uh, you know, a thing that that you could really afford. So, and as I was working at the flight school, I was encouraged by the instructors there to go ahead and get my instructor rating after, you know, instrument commercial. And that's kind of where it led me. Totally unexpected, but I'm very happy now as a full-time flight instructor and a retired first grade teacher. Amazing. Selfishly, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Many have benefited from Cheryl's retirement as a teacher. <laughs> before we were, before we started recording, you said you've what 98 check rides you've signed off on. Yep, 98 as... check rides. That is impressive. I'm shooting for a hundred this year. <laughs> well, Jim, if you hurry it up, maybe you can be the big one zero zero. That's right. Oh, that's Get on the tough. horse. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll fly with you. Time building. <laughs> All right, Alan. How did so you get involved? I think you heard in my bio. I started in Civil Air Patrol when I was 15, which the funny story with that, you know, upon reflection is that the, the friend that I made in high school that suggested that to me and persuaded me to do it because he had also long had an interest in, in aviation and stuff. He had actually done a number of demo flights with one Cheryl Dammel. And so if, if you think about it, like we could really kind of unwind this a long way to, back to Cheryl. Um, kind of indirectly. Um, but so that was kind of where my involvement at the airport started was I was 15 and, you know, we had meetings there once a week. We had the big air show in the spring, which I loved. And that was kind of where it started. And, and CAP has opportunities for people to learn how to fly. And it just, at the time that I was a member, it wasn't really happening for cadets. And so I didn't really think that hard about doing it. So I, you know, I finished high school. I went off to college. I got to the end of college and everybody starts asking, oh, so what are you going to do? And your parents go, so you're looking for a job, right? Because if you're not going to go to grad school, you got to figure out what you're going to do once you graduate. And I had spent four years getting a biochemistry degree, which was good. And I decided I really didn't want to go work in a lab at all. So I started looking for things in the aviation field that I could do once I got out. And so, and I knew I wanted to move back to Minnesota. So I, I came home and I actually happened to get a job at the, uh, the FBO at the local airport, which is where I'd been spending all my time in cap. So I started that. And at the time, what I was really thinking I was probably going to do was go into air traffic control because uh, a friend of my dad's was a retired air traffic controller. And, and we'd been corresponding at the end of my 
my last year of college. Um, and so I was thinking that was the route I was going to go. And I actually did apply the first summer I was working at the FBO for an ATC opening and didn't get it. And so I decided, well, you know, in the interim, maybe I'll just learn how to fly instead because I know I want to, and I think I can now. And, and I had met Cheryl. And so I got on the waiting list for her and with the flying club. And, and by the time I started flight training, I'd been at the FBO for about nine months. So I'd, I'd gotten a good taste of the corporate side of aviation, which I think was helpful because it, it told me that you could go be a pilot and get paid and you didn't have to fly airlines because when I was a kid growing up, I'd always thought that being a pilot would be really cool. And I had no desire to be an airline pilot. Like that just did not appeal yeah. at all. You know, I had thought about the Air Force and with the, the civil air patrol background that that was kind of always there, but I was like, you know, I don't know if I really want that to be my life. So uh, working on the corporate side, I realized that there's a lot of pilot jobs you can have that don't involve sitting in a cockpit at 37,000 feet while the autopilot flies for you with 200 people behind you. So I, I started my flight training in 2018, kind of plowed through my ratings. So Cheryl had a lot of patience for putting up with me for that long. And then eventually I got tired of doing the full-time FBO thing and I had my instructor certificate. So I started flight instructing full-time and doing a little bit of contract flying. And that's brings us up to now. So with the beginnings of your aviation journey or even throughout, um, ladies, what were your biggest challenges or hurdles that you had to face when you were getting into aviation? Um, well, initially, uh, finances was, you know, I, like it is for most people, finances were an issue. And so this may sound kind of crazy, but like to pay for my um, initial uh, private pilot training, back in the 90s for elementary teachers painted sweatshirts for holidays were really popular and so I learned how to hand paint sweatshirts for Christmas and Halloween and I'd sell them for 25 bucks a pop and all that went into my flight fund eventually then I I got like part-time jobs to help with it you know financially I was determined and I think that was the big thing was that I had a purpose I had a reason for doing it and it was a goal to kind of it was like self-actualization, I guess, achieving something that, you know, it was difficult. I mean, it takes, as we all know, it takes money, it takes skill, it takes intellectual, it's, it encompasses every part of you really. And when you finally achieve it, it's like, wow, I really did something. I, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. So I guess that those were the challenges, I think, you know, having enough time to study and, and uh, pushing through when things got tough. So for sure. Ellen, sure. you want to go next? What were some of the challenges that you had getting into your aviation? <laughs> so Cheryl and I were talking about this the other day, and I felt a little bit guilty because I don't feel like I came up with an immediately good answer to this question. I mean, money, as everyone would say, I mean, I, I worked full-time at the FBO, which was not a high-wage job. So I lived at home with my parents, and I drove a car that was 14 years old and had cheap insurance and, you know, put almost nothing in my savings account for three and a half or four years. So if that counts, that would be one. I, I thankfully never got to the point where I was running out of money, but I definitely did have to think kind of hard at some points like, okay, do I need to do anything else? Because this, that's, that was where every, every spare penny pretty much was going there. And I, I had it pretty good because my parents were happy to sort of support me in other ways while I was doing that. My mother who 
is a teacher. She, she kind of framed it like, look, this is your graduate education. So, and you know, and I paid for it, but they, they definitely helped me out with that a lot. So that was probably the biggest thing. Other than that, I just, you know, it just took time. You know, you, the nice thing for me was I was at the airport already for eight hours a day, every day I had a 6am to 2pm shift, which is perfect. Cause I could run over to the other side of the field, jump to the plane and go fly for an hour and a half. And so the convenience factor for that was good, but you know, I, and I had the same problems as everybody else did, you know, whether I, I thankfully managed to to set up my training schedule so that I ended up not doing a lot of training in the winter because in Minnesota winter and flying don't tend to mix very often as we've all seen over the last couple of weeks Cheryl and I are mm-hmm. losing it <laughs> but uh so you know I did the same problems you know you whether you got maintenance mostly I don't know I just kind of put my head down and kind of plowed right through it you know I was always good at school tests were relatively easy and I just kind of hacked away at it and that was it so okay you're here you did it <laughs> So how about you, Pam? What were some challenges, especially compared to Ellen and I? You're from that different generation of aviators. So are there any specific challenges that you can think of that you encountered while you were learning to fly? Oh, yeah. Um, Particularly since my whole family thought I was nuts, giving up a journalism uh, background. I mean, I had a good job. I I had no support. I really was up. It was up to me. I kind of thought of it as being, what would I do if I won the lottery? And I thought I'd learn to fly. So that's what I did. I just decided rather than get a master's degree, I'm going to go learn to fly. I went to uh, the local college, Lansing Community College, and talked to Women's Resources. By the way, check with Women's Resources. They had money for non-traditional careers. And so they helped me get my private pilot rating. I sold my piano. I gave up Coke. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Coca-Cola. (laughs) sorry i'm calling the faa (laughs) (laughs) which really helped later in life too because now i don't i'm not on caffeine at all everything that i did i did for flying uh i just put the the blinders on and just went for it Uh, i also worked at the fbo when i got that private pilot i just went and worked there um washing airplanes doing anything i could to help and you know fueling airplanes whatever And that led right to my CFI. So I was able to, once I got my CFI, I started working for them because they already knew me. And uh, that was really good because there was a lot of guys who, and they always wondered how I managed to get the women students. And I just told them, I just go up to them and talk to them about flying. I don't, I don't do anything else. I don't want to date them. I don't want to, I just want to get them to fly. (laughs) So I always had a lot more women students. And so I, I didn't really go hungry. The, about the only problem I ever had was when I went into going to the uh, uh, into a charter business in charter flying in Grand Rapids. Uh, Amway didn't want to hire a pilot. I, women, they I don't think they still hire women yet. They uh, so I went to Rapid Air, and it was owned by a woman, and she made it clear that she was not going to hire me, even though I knew she needed uh, pilots. So I dropped off the resume to the to the chief pilot though and that night I got a call from him saying we do need pilots and he said I want you to start flying with me in the DC-3 so I went damn that's awesome so uh, that's (laughs) what happened and she was not happy but within two years I was her her chief pilot and I was uh, I got the FAA they were on my side everybody was happy So I noticed that she started hiring other women, which really, I think that was the biggest hurdle was just getting my foot in the door. And that's one of the things that I recommend, you know, don't go in with a 
a chip on your shoulder. Don't think that you're not going to get hired. Don't think just because you're a woman. No, go in with the idea that you're competent, that you are good, and that you can add to their business. So that's that's how I made it through. So Pam, you mentioned a little bit about your introduction to aviation and how, you know, especially getting hired in the corporate sector, how you had trouble just because the idea of female pilots didn't quite resonate with some people, even fellow women. And you see some of that today, but definitely back in the day, it was more of a man's career to go into aviation that, you know, female pilots weren't really a thing. Um, They were definitely the outliers. Definitely the ladies before us had a very difficult time in paving the way for us as aviators today, as women, to get into these types of careers. So I think now is a good time to talk about um, the future of aviation and how we women are going to be a part of that. We have a lot of support groups, organizations, Facebook groups, all kinds of things that are centered around women in aviation. And this can be women in aviation maintenance. I've seen ATC, general aviation pilots, corporate pilots, all kinds. And it's really encouraging to see, but I kind of just want to delve into a little bit more of that, just specifically because we have ladies here today who are actually actively part of, or were part of, different big organizations for women. So Cheryl, I know you're with the 99s, correct? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So the 99s is a women's uh, pilot organization that was uh, started in 1929. With 99 women pilots, there were roughly 110, something like that. They called a, um, a meeting of of all the women pilots and 99 of them showed up. And so they called themselves the 99s. Amelia Earhart was the first uh, president of that group. And since then it has become an international group with, uh, boy, I'm not even sure how many chapters, but all over the world. And then within the United States, uh, we have sections and within the sections we have chapters. And I'm with the Minnesota chapter, which is part of the North Central section. North Central section has, I believe, nine, a little over nine states, nine or 10 states that are within that section. And then the chapter that we have in Minnesota is a full state. Uh, We have about 85 members in our chapter. And they range from um, student pilots to professional pilots. And young to older women who have since retired from aviation, but have like a very cool uh, history as to what they've done. Um, We've got one lady who, oh, let's see, she flew corporate, she flew charter. I don't even, she's just, she's done done it all. She has had her own flight school. And um, anyway, lots of different um, experience levels in that, in that group. And what I've found is that they're very supportive of each other, no matter you know where we are in our uh, aviation journey, whether we're just starting out or whether we are at the tail end of our um, our journey. It's just really cool to see how they support each other and learn from each other. It's a it's a very um, supporting group. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was late to joining them. I um, way back when people said, "Oh, you should join the 99s," and I thought. I don't know if I want to do that. You know, it's seemed kind of clicky or whatever. And that wasn't interested in that. And then finally I joined in 2013 and boy, did I have the wrong impression, um, you know, why I didn't join before, but it's a really wonderful group of women. That's awesome. 
definitely the support that I've seen in uh, female only groups, you know, the just the amount of support that everybody gives each other and the love that they give each other. It seems surreal. It doesn't feel almost real sometimes because everybody is on the same page on board, even through the differences in opinions and, and things like that and like uh, lifestyles and all that kinds of stuff. Everybody kind of bands together and, you know, links arms and approaches all things head on with each other. And I think that's really fabulous. And Pam, uh, if I recall correctly, you were part of Women in Aviation. Do you mind talking about that organization really quick? Yeah, sure. I actually started up with them um, when I was a corporate pilot, because before then I really couldn't afford any kind of dues. And so, um, but it was a wonderful group of women. I, I went to all their conferences and I found that I made a, a lot of good friends just from a distance, though, unfortunately, we didn't have Zoom. I love Zoom. It's so amazing. <laughs> um, but I got to know a lot of good women, and they also um, were very supportive. But by that time, I was kind of on my, on, uh, I was so busy flying that I, I couldn't really take the time. It really wasn't until my last, oh, probably the past eight or 10 years that I was trying to get more into the um, into the organization itself. And I helped out. There's a, a young woman here in, uh, in mid-Michigan, uh, Helen Haggs, who is just amazing. She's the president of the Great Lakes chapter here in Michigan for the women in aviation. And she's just a, a go-getter and very, uh, she just invites everybody in. She also has her AMP. She's working on her CFI. But I look at women in aviation as being kind of typical of her. She, she's just so open and friendly and, and uh, women in aviation gives people a door that uh, they open that door so that uh, women can get into, into aviation. They, they make you feel welcome. That's awesome. Oh, so, so much love in the female aviation community. <laughs> it really makes me happy. It sounds so cheesy, but it's, but it's really true. wonderful because <laughs> there really isn't a lot of us. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of women. I think I saw a figure, the amount of practicing, so like current practicing aviators that are female equates to about 5% in the globe. Like there are 8%, I think it's 8% now of licensed pilots, but as far as ones that um, have expired or the aviators have passed on or what have you, it's around 5% of pilots flying are female. And that's just such a tiny number. Well, it's even gone down. It's gone. Really? Down. Yeah. When I wow. first started flying, it was it was a little bit higher. And then um, over the past 15 years, the numbers have retreated. And that's that's one reason why we were pushing for the Women's Aviation Career Symposium, because we've got to get the mm -hmm. word out. Young women still are being directed subtly towards teaching and nursing and all that, which are fine careers. But they're they're not aviation. And there's such a wonderful future for them in aviation and in other, you know, not just piloting, but maintenance, et cetera. Yeah, I see a lot of the negative aspect around airline flying and the schedule and you can't have a family or anything, but really there are so many jobs. And I'm really excited for your, your symposium, Pam. I'm really, really excited for that because you are allowing women to see the sheer possibilities of aviation. There are so many things you can do. And I think that's, there's a place for everybody, really. Yeah. And we talk a lot about a lot of other things, other problems that women encounter. For instance, mm -hmm. breastfeeding. 
men don't have to worry about that. So no. what do you do if, you know, if you have to go back to the restroom in, in, in the airplane and you've got a pump? So it's, there's a lot of things that a lot of these women have had these experiences now that uh, I never got to talk to them about because I, I wasn't of that generation, but now they're learning that they can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So Ellen, you were part of CAP for many years, right? Uh, and it's not a women-only organization, but do you mind telling us just a little bit about how you think CAP could be a part of a lot of future female aviators' lives? Yeah, absolutely. So for those that aren't familiar with the organization, so Civil Air Patrol is the United States Air Force Auxiliary. It's a volunteer organization. Um, you can join their cadet program at age 12. So it's wow. it's very much a youth development program. And that, in fact, that's one of the that's one of the organization's core missions is um, is cadet programs, which is is designed for ages 12 to 21. Um, and so I joined at age 15. And I remember when I joined my local squadron, which was, has been one of the larger ones in Minnesota for, well, at this point, more than 10 years. It's, it's, I think it's been the largest for the last few, but it's always been in kind of the top two or three in terms of just size. When I joined, there were maybe six or seven female cadets out of maybe 50 cadets total, something like that. Um, and as I've watched over the last seven years or so, that number has absolutely exploded to the point that actually in recent years, the, the group of cadets that are the the highest ranking cadets within the cadet half of the squadron for the last many years, the leadership team of three or four people have been female cadets over and over and over. And, And by that, I mean, different groups of female cadets, but the number of female cadets has absolutely just exploded. Um, and, and part of that has just been because one of the adult leaders at the squadron, a woman named Mary Albright, um, who's a, a local entrepreneur in Minnesota, she has been very, very dedicated in not only recruitment, but also in promoting and advertising, basically, you know, the accomplishments of the female cadets that we have had. Um, so a lot of us got to leadership positions in the squadron. We did roles at the, um, the annual boot camp in the summer. So a lot of us had high positions there, but we've always been like, our squadron's always been very vocal about that. Like, look at, look at our female cadets and look at what they're accomplishing. And I think that that's made a big difference because we've drawn so many more in and it's, it's a program that, you know, separate from aviation is really good for developing leadership skills and organizational skills and just building general confidence like I would credit the program hugely with just kind of the personality that I have now, because I think it was really good for me when I was 15 and 16 and 17 to kind of grow a stiff spine and just know how, you know, know how to talk to people, know how to stand up for myself, you know? So that's been very helpful through my life. Um, And we've watched that for years with a lot of the female cadets that join when they're very young, like, I mean, age 12 or 13, I mean, these are middle schoolers, they're kids and they'll be very shy and they'll be very reserved and give them like, three or four years, by the time they hit the end of high school, you're like, wow, that kid's going to be like representative or a business CEO or something someday, because they just, they, they grow so much um, in terms of maturity and professionalism and, you know, public speaking skills and communication skills. And and you can meet them five years apart. You wouldn't know it was the same kid. And that happens for the the male cadets as well. But I I think we see a lot of growth um, in, in many of the, the female cadets we've had. And so I think that one of the advantages to that program is that, you know, it's an access to aviation. Um, cadets can do flight training for very, very cheap, which it has to do with the way that the Air Force sets the program up and funding that's available. But there's also in recent years been a huge initiative in CAP with um, something that they call, I think their WINGS program. And basically what it does is it the cadets can apply and if they get chosen, their flight training is almost entirely funded. Um, oh. So if they're trying to do a private pilot certificate as a cadet, 
they can do it for very, very, very affordable. And that wasn't an option when I was that age, but we've seen a lot of cadets make use of that program in the last few years. And, and honestly, in Minnesota, a lot of the cadets that are currently student pilots are girls. I mean, it's, it's probably Wonderful. even half, if not more. So one of the nice things with that program is it, you know, it gives, it, it gives girls that want to take a stab at it, who are interested. It, it gives them the platform to do that. It gives them support. Um, it, it's, I think it's just, it's really good for them just to grow as people, but the program provides them an opportunity. And especially when there's good female adult leadership that really advocates for that and gives them access, that makes a big difference. Yeah. I think those things are super important, especially even today, although the, the pathway has been paved already by the women who have gone before us, Certainly as females, you know, we have certain tendencies, it seems that I've seen at least just in in my observations of things that, you know, aren't necessarily things that often come easily to us. And one of those things is confidence. I definitely was one of those people as, you know, when I started aviation, I had really, you know, thin skin. I couldn't hand, I couldn't handle it at times. And I, my confidence just tanked and I, I, it was really difficult to get over that kind of stuff. But thankfully, I, I actually had, I credit a lot of my growth to my primary instructor. His name is Victor Torres, and he he was a military guy, and he made sure I, I grew my spine really quick. And thankfully, because of him, I, I do have, although I didn't have that, um, you know, middle school, high school kind of building up like you did in CAP, I kind of had a crash course. Um, but definitely, I think a big reason why, you know, females have an issue is because if they don't have, you know, the support or they're not naturally very confident, it's very, very taxing. And I think it's very easy to quit, especially because it's a difficult thing. Flying is not easy, but, you know, with those supporting groups, with all of these awesome organizations and all this support that's coming up, especially in the last few years, you said, Ellen, with CAP, how awesome it is that just, just leadership just suddenly has seen this explosion in female pilots. That's so amazing. And I think that's so great. So in, in that kind of that line, where do you think as, as female aviators, where are areas that we could improve as far as getting the word out or um, supporting each other, things like that? Well, I, if one, if nothing else, I like to uh, talk to young women today about drones and UASs mm. uh, because that really is the future. Um, and yet you don't see, you still see boys grabbing those remotes and they have a blast of it. If you put the remote into the, into the girls' hands, they, they realize, oh my God, this is fun. So I've really been trying to get a lot of young women to think about doing, um, learn about the drones, learn about, and I said, that's a misnomer, really. It's a UAS. Learn about them and buy them. And you can get a job with, with that in the military as well as in civilian life. I rarely think about drones just because, you know, I, I fly, I make things fly when I'm up in them, but truly, yeah, drones are the future. The military is shifting a lot over to drones and yeah, yeah definitely a good thing to learn, especially because getting a, a drone certificate is, you know, relatively easy nowadays. So definitely that route is a, a great pathway mm-hmm. to aviation and jobs. Jobs mm-hmm. are good. Yes. Mm-hmm. We like jobs. <laughs> um, women in aviation has really, uh, taken a, a leadership role in having the girls in aviation um, event every year in September and yeah, that's right. girls aviation day, I guess it is. And it's nationwide. I think we've had, oh, I don't, I guess maybe for 10 years, we've had our event here in um, Minnesota 
And uh, it's grown and we've got like literally a thousand kids that come each, um, each September for that, that um, event. And they call upon all organizations in aviation, you know, from uh, Metropolitan Airport Commission to Minnesota Department of Transportation to the women's group, Women in Aviation 99s. But then um, they also get uh, some of the regional airlines to come in and have booths. And then there's all kinds of activities for the girls to do, you know, throughout the day. But that's that's been a huge um, promotional thing for um, for aviation for the last few years, too. Awesome. Do you guys have a date set for that yet? Or is it just kind of in September? Um, I am not sure. It's usually like the third weekend of September, the third Saturday of September, but I'm not sure what, what it is this year. All right. Well, we'll definitely keep tabs on that and announce mm-hmm. it when you guys are when you guys are ready to announce it as well, because we definitely want to get the word out for that. We have that in Michigan too. So I always try awesome. to get involved in that. And, and you're right. We see so many young women getting into that now. If, if the question is, how do you, how do you get more women to be pilots? I think that in my mind, it's kind of, you, you kind of need two parts to it. And, and one part of that is representation, which is that if you don't see yourself in these roles, that, you, that never occurs to you as an option. So if you're five and you never see women doing any of those things, air traffic control, maintenance, piloting, all of those things. If you don't see that, you just sort of internalize this narrative that that's not what women do. And and I think the same is true for boys, right? I mean, like, let's take the nursing field, for example, right? You know, the stereotypical nurse in TV, in print, in picture, everything, it's always a woman. So if you're a young boy, you probably, it's the same problem. You know, you don't see yourself in those roles. And so you don't consider that track. It's not because one, one gender is more inclined to do one thing or another. I don't, I reject that notion. I don't think that's really true. I do think that you, you gravitate towards what you think you can do based on what everybody else has done. And it's hard to track outliers because it's like, okay, well, Amelia Earhart was great, but like, that's one person, that's one example so it needs, you have to see it as more of a common trend where it's like, yeah, equal 50, 50, you know, sure. Your pilot could be a woman. It could be a man. So I, I think that that representation. And so, you know, and so what that means is that we have to highlight those people because they are still minority numbers. And so as long as they are still outliers, you have to draw a lot of attention to it so that it, it looks more normal to people because that's the only way you're going to make it more normal. So they need to see female maintenance technicians. They need to see female air traffic controllers. You know, they need to see female airplane reps. I mean, look at Taylor with Cirrus, you know, the local rep is a woman, which is great, but like highlight those people because that's how you convince people that, that all of it's fair game. Um, Cause I, I do think that there are plenty of young girls who probably would have an interest and would do it if they felt like it was a thing that girls do. I mean, I, I kind of think it's that simple. I mean, and I feel fortunate that I was raised in a family where, you know, like my dad did all the cooking at home. It wasn't like my mom was a teacher and came home and cooked. You know, I feel like I got a good balance of that, but also they were very clear, like, yeah, whatever you're interested in, whatever you want to do, that's fine. And, and they would point those things out to me and be like, look at, you got a woman pilot. See, isn't that great? Women can be pilots, you know? So I think that, that, I think the representation part is one. I think the other piece of that is advocacy. Like you need not just the women in those roles, but you need the men in those roles too, to say, look, women can do this job. Women are doing this job. Women are good at this job. So you know, you need the female pilots to go, look at us. We are female pilots and we do this. We fly charter, we fly corporate, we fly survey, we fly military, we fly airlines. We do all these things. We do air traffic control. And then you need the men in those jobs to do the exact same thing and say, look at women do this and they do this and they do this. Yeah. My supervisor's a woman. Yeah. My, my captain's a woman and I'm the first officer kind of stuff like that. Like you just, you need the people in those roles to 
like kind of, you know, reach down the ladder and grab people and pull them up kind of. And I think that that's, you know, that's one thing we had in our Solar Patrol squadron is we had, you know, a woman who decided to take that leadership role at the top and was like, yeah, all right, guys, let's go. All right, girls, let's, let's do this, you know? So I, I think that, and this is one thing that I will give Cheryl a lot of credit. I think she does a great job with this because, you know, not only does she chair the 99th chapter and does an excellent job, but, you know, you set a good example of look at what I did. I can totally do this. If I can do it, you can do it. And she's always had a lot of female students. And I think for a lot of us, it's been really nice to have a female instructor because we had a role model that made it clear that absolutely, if we put our mind to it, we could totally freaking do this. There's no reason why not. And Mm -hmm. I think when you see those people and you have those people around, it makes it easier for you to do that. And when you have people in your community who are supportive, like, you know, I was working at the FBO as a line tech, not as a customer service rep, which is kind of unusual for women to the point that actually male pilots would remark on that. Like, wow, you know, you don't see a lot of line girls. No, no, you don't. <laughs> but anytime I'd be chatting with them and eventually I'd get to the point where I, you know, they got to the point where they realized I had an interest in flying and I'd say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm working on my private or whatever. I want to be a pilot or something like that. They would just be like, wow, that's great. That's, you know, that's just fantastic. We love seeing more women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because I was there and I got that, you know, I, I was, I had this very, again, I was very fortunate. I had this reinforcing narrative that I was like, yeah, I can do this. I should do this. People want me to do this. People that don't know me think this is great. And so I think that's one of the nice things that, you know, in some places now, I think that narrative has changed, you know, I mean, unfortunately for Pam, that wasn't the case. You know, I've been lucky in that where I am, the it's been, it's been positive, but I, I think that that makes a big difference, right? Because if you had heard growing up, yeah, you should totally do this. Yeah, you can totally do this. Why not? Why aren't you like, you want to do this? Go do it. It'd be great. You know, that would have made such a big difference. I would have started flying at 16. Exactly. 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 And so I I think that, you know, like I said, it's representation. You have to see yourself and then you need the people to advocate and say, yes, you should do this. Look at the people who are doing this. That could be you absolutely. And kind of like Mm -hmm. propel you along. And so I think that the symposium things, the girl in aviation days, it's a great way to showcase the women that are doing it. And then also at the same time to say, hey, all of you who are here because you're interested, let's get you on this pathway, you know, get involved with your EAA chapter, do Young Eagles flights, Mm -hmm. um, join your 99s chapter, join your WAI chapter, you know, every local area is different. So that's part of it. They all have different resources, but if you can pair the women who are interested when they're young, like I, I do really think you have to get them young. If you can find a way to pair them up with those organizations earlier, I think they stand a better chance of actually like flowing through to go do those jobs. Totally off topic. But as soon as you said representation, I thought of, I don't know if you saw this post in Lady Aviators, there was a post about a mom who was a pilot. I think she was an airline pilot and she was on a flight with her daughter, young six or so. And she boarded the plane. She got to see the cockpit quickly and she came back and just said, mom, they let two boys up there all by themselves. <laughs> and for some yeah. reason, that's, see, that's it. There's so many like, posts like that in the female yes, pilot Facebook groups, the, the, the airline pilots that are, that are moms and have kids. The kids mm-hmm. are more surprised by male airline pilots yeah. than female ones. Cause that's, what's normalized to them. And I think and then, that like that yeah. illustrates it right there. My mm-hmm. nephew came up to me once and he said, can boys learn to fly too? Right. Like, oh, yes. Like imagine so what a sweet. world it would be if that was the question that got asked as opposed to, oh, can girls do that too? Because it's right. always been that one. But why isn't it, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. It's been aviation's only been around for, you know, just a little over a hundred years. Hundred years. That's <laughs> not a long time Mm-mm. compared to things like, you know, engineering and gosh, pick a pick anything out of a hat. And it's it just hasn't been around that long. But you know, because of 
you know, a variety of factors, it's accelerated so much. Um, and unfortunately, you know, back even just a hundred years ago, the idea of, you know, the view of women was a lot, it isn't like it was is today. So definitely now is the time, you know, we have, you know, we have strong ladies that are in these positions, especially, yeah, the leadership positions. That's so important. Yeah, just having all of this and having these symposiums, having these, yes, the Girls in Aviation Day, all of this stuff is so great. And, you know, the more we can have this word out, the better. And even just, I'm an advocate for everybody getting into aviation, but especially, you know, have seen showing the girls that they can do this too. They can do anything they put their mind to including flying planes <laughs> or directing planes to the sky or fixing them or whatever they dream of doing. I just think that's so fabulous. All right. What advice would you give to aspiring female aviators? I would say go out there and uh, check out your local airport and talk to them about an introductory flight lesson. Uh, it's not very expensive. If you're interested more in the maintenance end of things, spend a weekend out on a nice summer day and check some of the hangars. There's always people out there working on airplanes and maybe they'll take you up for a flight too, uh, for that matter. But uh, just don't be afraid to ask questions. But I, and I totally agree, Ellen. It's a matter of getting people, um, a lot of young people out there in thinking and seeing that there are men and women doing non-traditional things. That's the only way we're going to grow. I guess my my word of advice too would be to uh, don't limit yourself. Be willing to work hard um, because it is hard work. Be willing to study. You know, apply yourself in school, and you know, have a work ethic. Um, set goals for yourself, and um, don't be afraid of failure. If you fail, just uh, pick yourself back up and try it again. <laughs> So press on. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know that I have anything different to say to that. I mean, it is hard. It's nothing is going to make it easy. Everybody struggles with different parts of the process and that's normal. I'm, I've had this conversation with all of my student pilots. Like it, it's not an easy process and it doesn't matter what you want to do. You want to go become an A&P? Great. Like there are going to be parts of that you will struggle with. You want to be an air traffic controller? Holy crap. I So hard. So hard. The attrition mm -hmm. rate's very high for a reason. It is difficult. But if you want it and you're willing to work for it, then there isn't really anything else to stop you. So I think part of it's also just like, you know, if you want it, then let yourself want it. You don't, I mean, it's easy, I think, for a lot of us to be our own worst enemies and get in our own way. Mm -hmm. And if your friends and or family are not supportive because they don't get it, there are communities out there that will support you. Like go, you know, go connect with the women on Facebook, connect with your 99s, connect with your WAI and fi find your, find your tribe to some extent. I hate using that phrase, but find your people because they're out there. And, you know, for some people it, it's a difficult process because they don't have that support. So mm -hmm. if you're not getting it from your family or the people that, you know, there are people out there who do not know you at all, but they will support you. Um, I, I've seen this on, you know, the female pilot Facebook groups in particular, like somebody can be like, guys, I'm really struggling with X and, and 20 people will be like, will offer encouragement or advice or support because they've all been through it. They know. Um, and, you know, and they're not going to sugarcoat it and they're not going to, you know, they're, they're not going to coddle you per se, but they, they will help you and they will offer you that support that you need if you're not finding it in the community that you are in right now. So I think all those things are, um, are really important uh, to keep in mind and I think have broad shoulders too. you know, um, people are going to put you down. Um, they're going to, you know, 
say you can't do this or you shouldn't be doing this or whatever, but you need to you need to look past that. You need to get broad shoulders and you and you know look at your goal and keep pushing towards it and have a sense of humor. Yeah, yes. sense of humor. <laughs> you know, a lot important. of times people, you know, they they don't know that they're being mean or condescending or whatever. Laugh with them and get them to understand that that doesn't, it's not important. It's not important. The airplane doesn't know if I'm a man or a woman. It just knows whether or not I can fly. So if you can get them to laugh, that's half the battle and get yourself to laugh. Don't be so damn serious. (laughs) That's really true. It's really true. Yeah, definitely. I, to kind of resonate with what Ellen said a minute ago about things that are going to be challenging. Never have I met one person who hasn't found a challenge in aviation, whether it's they just can't get a handle on radios, they have trouble taxiing, they can't land to save their life, no matter what they try. I see like every day I see posts about women saying, oh, my flight instructor, like I am at 30 hours and I still can't land. And my instructor says, maybe this isn't the right thing for me. And this is really discouraging. Find a new flight instructor. That for one, be, be okay with getting a new flight instructor. That's just a fact of life. But in general, no matter what you're doing, this is universal. There is a like 99.99 chance that if you try something and it is as involved as aviation is, there is going to be at least one aspect that is just extremely difficult for you. It's going to be a hurdle, but it is so worth it to conquer that. Whether it's, it's fear of flying or confidence, Those are really tough ones, Um, especially the confidence factor I mentioned earlier. Very tough to get over because it's all in your head, really, because you're capable. Again, like like you said, Pam, the client doesn't care about about what's between your legs. It doesn't know. All it knows is, what are you telling me to do? Mm -hmm. And that's it. You know, the people will get you down. The airplane doesn't care. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I'm five foot three and I, I weigh basically 120 pounds. And so when it came to putting luggage onto an airplane and when I was flying the BAC 111, I had to open up the cargo doors. And when we were in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, I went out and I had to show the guys how, and we're talking Arabian, I mean, Middle Eastern guys, I had to show them how to open the door um, because it, it's a, it was a heavy door, but I had learned leverage. I had learned how to do it. And so it's a matter of, um, if you think you're sm- too small or something, ask for help and then learn a technique. So there's mm-hmm. always ways to do things. You just have to kind of work around the system sometimes, figure it out. Yeah, I'm five foot three. And uh, a year ago, I finally got smart and bought a folding step stool because oh, very good. anytime I go to fly the Cirrus, half the time there's not a ladder where the Cirrus is or the Cirrus yeah. is sitting on a ramp or something. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be flying this airplane, and, and not even just this airplane. I'm like, I can't see to check the oil because I'm yeah. five foot three. So I have a folding step stool that I carry around. I have a seat cushion that lives with me and flies in all the Cessnas because yep. I can't reach the pedals. I had to put and, a seat cushion behind my back also because yep. I'm, you know I couldn't reach the pedals yeah. really. That's what mine is for. Yeah. yeah. I have a I have a one of those pads that you put on boats. You know the little square ones. Yes, Cheryl's got those. I got it for three dollars at a garage sale. Great. It smelled like cigarette smoke. Disgusting. <laughs> I took some foam out of it, made it perfect. Put wrote on it Maddie's butt pad, and the rest was history. <laughs> I can see out of every plane now. <laughs> so, I almost, ladies, if you can't see over the over the can't see over the glare shield, 
get yourself some pillows. <laughs> my first instructor yeah. couldn't understand why I wasn't soloing as fast as his, his male. I was his first woman and I was mm -hmm. small. He didn't understand why I was having a hard time um, landing. And then he, someone suggested that I get a pillow. So I got the pillow and suddenly the landings came right away. I, I just simply couldn't see over the panel and I didn't know enough to know. So, uh, yep. you know, as an instructor, that's something that uh, just pass it on, put a pillow under that's their butts. The first thing I do with my students, I'm like, okay, now get in the plane and we're going to make sure you can see over the dash. Cause yes. I learned this from my instructor who's four foot 11. Okay. Four foot 11. Yeah. So, so Cheryl and I are two, a pair of pipsqueaks bopping around here. So we're like, she's got her set of cushions. I got my cushion. Like, you know, it's, but mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I yeah. think if I had one other piece of advice too, would just be like, and this one, bear with me for this one. Like there aren't a lot of women in aviation. We know we're the minority in every aspect of it. That said, to Pam's point about not going in with a chip on your shoulder, don't walk into every situation like, oh, I'm a woman, they're going to discriminate me against me, or they're not going to listen to me, or whatever, they're going to put me down, mm -hmm. because that's going to put you in a weird kind of adversarial position, and trust me when I say there are a lot of people out there who really just don't care. Yeah. They're like, great, you're qualified, you're hired, done, get in there. Yeah. Like, they just, you know, this is part of, I think, the whole collective, like, let's just move over, like, move forward and normalize this. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't care that you're a woman. Like, great, this is good. And and I mean this in a good way. Like, no, true. you know, there's, there's a lot of people that want women in these roles because they're qualified and they're capable and they want them to succeed. And so, you know, don't get into this hole where you're like, well, because I'm a woman, they're not going to want to listen or I'm, I'm going to get picked on or the guys are going to be mean because that's like, that's going to create a weird atmosphere. And a lot of the times it's not going to be the case. Right. I think that's true, Ellen. I think if you go in, with a confidence of, you know, and show people that you know what you're talking about, you are capable. And, you know, I, I guess I never have made it a big deal. It's like, okay, I have yeah. earned my, my pilot certificate. I've earned my instructor. I go in and I don't even think about it. It's like, I can do this job. I've done it for a long time. And so can you, and it doesn't matter. I mean, to me, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. I, I'm fortunate that I have, like Ellen said, I have mostly female students, which I am very proud of, actually. And, and, um, but it just, it isn't an issue if you don't make it an issue. Yeah. And especially for, you know, for students that have chosen to work with you or companies that chose to hire you, they all know. It's not like, oh my God, wait, you're a woman? Oh, now we're going to have to think about this. <laughs> I mean, it sounds silly, but it's like, you know, all these people have already mm -hmm. picked you for your innate qualities. So you're good. Go forth. Right. Be great. I had a 72-year-old gentleman. And now that I look back, I'm 72 now. And I'm thinking, damn, he wasn't that old. But at the time, he seemed to be. And uh, he looked at me when I got into the airplane and I sat left seat. And he goes, you're flying the airplane? And I said, yeah. I said, now, do you have a problem with that? I want him to have a heart attack. And he said, no. He said, but boy, you women are just getting everywhere, aren't you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to need a lot of pilots here soon. Yeah. There, there is room for all of us. You got it. We typically have some sort of quiz segment towards the end of it, just to kind of have something light to kind of end things with and move towards um, 
concluding it. Are you guys interested in doing that? Uh, put you on the spot. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Is it, wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, I'm just going to go on the 99's um, website and look at their history and just ask you a lot of questions. Is that all right? Uh, <laughs> you can ask, but Florence uh, Klingon doesn't mean the you answer. got the answers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, who knows the first female U.S. Air Force Thunderbird pilot? Nicole Malakowski. Yep. Cool. She's the one who said that airplanes have souls. I don't know. Did she? Yeah. Huh. I learned something. <laughs> I am learning things today. All right. Um, might as well stick with the Air Force theme for a second. Who is the first United States Air Force fighter pilot? That was a woman? Yep. That's what I meant. Thank you Thank for you. clarifying. <laughs> like, oh, we're going back again. a long way here. <laughs> Who is the first United States Air Force female fighter pilot? God, I have no idea. Heather Penny. Who? Was it Heather Penny? No. No. Okay. I don't. Was know. it? She was the 9/11 one, right? Yeah. She, mm -hmm. Yeah, she was the 9/11 one. Yeah. Um, it is Major General Jeannie Levitt. She became oh, a fighter that pilot name. in the would U not have thought of it. 1993. First woman. Wow. Also command, yep. First woman to also command a U.S. Air Force combat fighter wing. Really? So what was she flying? A A-10? Uh, F-15s, I believe. Okay. Nice. Nice. Who was the first female to fly? The first female pilot. Not licensed. Pilot. Oh, I do know who that is. I think she was down in, um, in Michigan. Can't think of her name. Old age is hell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Harriet, Harriet Beecher. No, that's <laughs> that's Uncle Tom's cabin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Harriet Beecher. Harriet no, Quimby. but I, it was Harriet, Harriet Quimby. That was a Cheryl said. I think that was it. Harriet, Harriet Quimby is the first, according to a reputable site, um, the 99s. Harriet Quimby is the first female licensed pilot. Licensed. The okay. first female pilot is Blanche Scott, who in 1910. Um, was allowed to taxi an aircraft. I love that term, allowed to taxi, and yes. mysteriously became airborne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, My no. bad, guys. Just Oops. accidentally pushed the black knob all the way in, and it just kind of did a thing there. Don't mind me. I'd love I to love think it. she knew exactly what she was doing. Oh, she totally oh, knew what she was doing. <laughs> she was allowed, but just she sticking it to the men it. is what she was doing. Yep. yep. <laughs> and darn right. That's fantastic. I'm going to give you one more. Um, who is the first uh, female African American pilot? Bessie Coleman. Bessie Coleman. Yeah, you guys are good. Yeah, and she also was, I think, one of the first to die because she didn't have her seatbelt on when they went inverted. Oops. I don't know that they had seatbelts back then. Yeah, that might be the bigger issue. Oh, yeah. yeah, but she went all the way to France to learn yes. to fly, because, wow. and she had to learn French. To, to learn to fly because nobody would teach her here because she was a woman and she was black. Yep. Right. Yep. Just so sad. Thankfully, that is not commonplace anymore, which is awesome. Yeah. Good questions. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I want to thank each and every one of you so much for being here today. It's uh, There's a lot of good content that you talked about and um, good information to pass along for the future of women in aviation. So thank you so much. You're welcome. you're welcome. I'd just like to once again thank our incredible panel of female aviators for participating in our roundtable in this episode. 
uh, providing such great content, insights into their aviation journey. Um, all of it was just fantastic. And I think they have some really great messages uh, to pass along for the future generations of female aviators. So thank you once again, and a huge thank you to our own Maddie for facilitating that conversation. You did a great job, Maddie. Thanks. Thank you, Jim. I felt really fortunate to be able to talk to these ladies with their wealth of experience and their love for aviation. All right, Trevor, what do we got coming up next time? Well, talking about accomplished pilots, we do have uh, two personal friends of mine and uh, accomplished aviators, both airline, one of them a, a, a sim instructor and an airline pilot at a regional airline currently. And another that is a retired 747 instructor, where we're going to be talking about CRM. We're going to be talking about their flying experiences, both in the military and on the civilian side, and kind of how they came to being. As always, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Flying Midwest podcast. If you have any feedback or comments, or you just want to reach out to us, you can contact us on any of our social media pages, or you can contact us at flyingmidwestpodcast at gmail.com. Any parting words from you two before we take off? Straighten up and fly right. Before we go, don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell, hit the like button, and we'll see y'all later. All right. Until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. So, so do you want to use that? Like your, whis- your COVID whispering for like the start of the show? Like, welcome to the Flying Midwest welcome. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's the loudest whispering I've ever heard. It's a lot to remember, but I, I have faith in you and I have confidence in you. That may be severely misplaced, but okay. Uh, she is a retired first grade fool, oh, fool teacher. Oh. <laughs> yeah, probably a fool teacher. There's probably a few of them. That's not inaccurate. I, I can prove it. <laughs> it's kind of scary. You know what else is scary? The amount of whispering in the gang reel this week. Tear off the band-aid and subscribe already. And make sure to comment for the engagement, even if you hated it. Well, I tell you what, guys, I'm kind of the odd man out this episode. So, so see ya. No, I'm here to have a terrible time. Don't put that in the blooper. <laughs> oh, that's gold. You know it's... <laughs> she knows it's coming out. Like, she said it, and she's like, I can hear that with the clown music already. And we can see 130 where this goes. Ha, <laughs> ha,